President Roosevelt said in a statement today that the Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, from the air. The Americans were wholly unprepared for the attack. In fact, the United States was more fearful of sabotage and had lined up its aircraft wing to wing on the runways. So they were an easy target for Japanese attackers. Most people don't realize that the attack on Pearl Harbor was not the primary thrust of the Japanese. It was actually into the Dutch East Indies so that they could gain access to oil. In late November 1941, a task force of six aircraft carriers and assorted naval vessels set sail from the Japanese islands and made their way 275 miles outside of Oahu in Hawaii. On December 7th of that year, those forces attacked Pearl Harbor. According to history professor Joe Glatthar, the United States was unaware of the attack, and part of the reason may actually be because U.S. forces received too much information. Welcome to Well Said, the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. In honor of Pearl Harbor Day on December 7th, we'll be reflecting on the date that will live in infamy. Americans rushed to their positions. As I said, they were unprepared, so they had to break open ammunition lockers, and many of them exhibited extraordinary courage in the fight. Nonetheless, the United States suffered disastrously. 164 planes were destroyed and 128 were damaged. 2,335 U.S. military personnel were killed, along with 68 civilians. The Japanese lost 29 planes and 64 killed in action. Four battleships were sunk, four were damaged. One ex-battleship was sunk, three cruisers and three destroyers were sunk. It was probably the single greatest disaster in American military history. The attack on Pearl Harbor was one of many coordinated Japanese attacks, wiping out a significant percentage of the American fleet. While it is often described as the attack that led to the United States' entry into World War II, Joe says there's a little more to the story. Most people don't realize that the attack on Pearl Harbor was not the primary thrust of the Japanese. It was actually into the Dutch East Indies so that they could gain access to oil. They had to immobilize the American fleet in Hawaii and also immobilize the American forces in the Philippines because the supply route would extend from the Dutch East Indies between the Philippines and mainland Asia to get up to Japan. Japan did this because they had an imperialist agenda known as the Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere. Japan was an island with limited resources. Its culture elevated the Japanese above all others, especially other Asians. As it began to expand in the 1930s into Manchuria and then the 1940s into Southeast Asia after France fell, but the United States began resisting Japanese expansion, issuing diplomatic statements and ultimately restricting the sale of things like scrap metal, steel, and aviation fuel, which were all valuable materials needed by the Japanese. But the big issue occurred 
in July 1941, when the Japanese invaded Southeast Asia after France's fall. The U.S. imposed an oil embargo on Japan, and Japan began running out of oil. In fact, when the attack at Pearl Harbor happened, Japan only had several months' supply of oil. According to Joe, there are some speculations surrounding what President Franklin D. Roosevelt did or didn't know when it came to the attack. And while there's no hard evidence, there were some mixed messages leading up to it. The United States had developed a system called MAGIC, in which we were able to decode Japanese communications, diplomatic codes, and Japanese naval codes. This was exceedingly valuable in the Pacific theater because much of the communication took place by radio waves, and once it's out in the air, anyone can intercept it. The difficulty is, though, that the United States was getting evidence, that is, information that we had to decode from a variety of sources and in a variety of locations. So the Army was getting information in Hawaii. The Navy was getting information in Hawaii. American State Department was getting information in, in Japan. American State Department was getting information in, in Europe. And, of course, the U.S. was getting information in Washington, D.C., That's a lot of information to try and pull together. Plus, there was the added challenge of a code system that changed every month. It took only a few days each month for the United States to learn the new code, but those days were valuable. They all have the same basic code, but there are some modifications. And so it was was a little bit of a slow process right at the beginning of each month. Now, the Japanese had just changed codes on December 4th, so it was a little difficult to get information. But we knew that they were going to do something really big in early December. We just did not know what it was, and we suspected that it would be that thrust into the Dutch East Indies to get the oil. We didn't anticipate it would be into Pearl Harbor and into the Philippines. No one was sitting down and pulling all this material together and working their way through it. And so individuals would read snippets, but no one really saw the big picture. Of course, hindsight is 2020. And according to Joe, the plans for the attack on Pearl Harbor were in fact laid out amongst the messages intercepted, but it was incredibly challenging for American forces to piece it together at the time. So what scholars have done is they've gone back and looked at all these messages and they've pulled out pieces which they think should have told them that the attack on Pearl Harbor was going to take place. The problem with this is that they know one thing that people in the United States didn't know on December 6, 1941. That is that the attack was going to take place the next day. So they're starting from hindsight And then they're pulling in the information which is germane, but none of which particularly tells them that the attack was going to take place at Pearl Harbor. The truth of the matter is that U.S. intelligence assumed that the principal thrust would be into the Dutch East Indies, which was exactly what the Japanese were intending to do. And so as a result of this, what you have is vast amounts of information which might lead you to some sort of conclusion of crises, but then there's all sorts of other communications which distract you from from that very event. It's what they call noise. 
So the noise distracts you from the principal goal. That's why it's so difficult to determine precisely behavior and conduct and intentions from intelligence information, especially when they don't say it point blank. And in this case, the Japanese did not say it point blank. The day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt went before Congress and called for a declaration of war. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked. This is one of the most famous speeches in U.S. history. And interestingly, the speech was lost for a long period of time. The reason was when Roosevelt was done, he simply left the speech on the podium. So it got put in with all sorts of congressional records and was only discovered by the National Archives some years later. What's so interesting is the most famous line of the speech, which stated a date that will live in infamy, was actually written in by Roosevelt by hand to a typed speech. In the days before this declaration, America was divided. According to Joe, 39% of Americans supported the United States entering the war, and 35% were adamantly against it. The attack on Pearl Harbor changed all that. A Gallup poll after the attack indicated that 97% of the American people were wholly supportive of the U.S. going to war. And, of course, there's another big issue involved here. That is, in the post-war period, we create the Central Intelligence Agency in legislation known as the National Security Act of 1947. The CIA, as we oftentimes refer it to, was to be a clearinghouse for all this intelligence information. So a body would be collecting this information and working through it in a very systematic way, which was one of the great problems at Pearl Harbor. When we went through 9-11, it was the first time in my life that I had a glimpse of what the American public had gone through during the days after the attack on Pearl Harbor. And you could really sense the American public coming together, determined to, to see that this, this disaster was uh, was rectified and that the pe perpetrators were punished. And that's my sense with Pearl Harbor, that the American public was utterly outraged that they would attack the United States without a declaration of war. The Japanese did declare war, but they declared it after, after the attack. <laughs> so it was a very different circumstance. So was President Roosevelt right? Was December 7th, 1941 truly a date that will live in infamy? I think it has lived in infamy. Uh, we're still talking about it now, and there are, and many of the World War II veterans are gone. My father, who was a Marine in the Pacific Theater, passed away last December. So there are lots of World War II veterans still out there, and I suspect even when they're gone, we'll still remember. I think we'll still remember. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Well Said, 
the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. If you're interested in learning more about Joe or the courses he teaches as part of the curriculum in peace, war, and defense at UNC, visit history.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Send us a tweet at UNC or shoot us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you get podcasts. So we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.